Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. An Erios production. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. 39 and single. Can someone help me out? He could be balding, bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball. From gay, straight, black, white, tiny eyes with an underbite. I just need Hello, Spermcast listeners. It has been a week. I mean, literally, it's been a week. But also, it has been a week, if you know what I mean. I had this big job last week, and I had a Friday night deadline, and boom, Friday, my 2012 iMac computer crashed for the last time. Completely dead. It was a disaster. But I want to say thank you to my Patreon subscribers, because... Without them, I never would have been able to get a new computer, which is what I'm working on now and what I ended up finishing that other job on. And so, bless you. Thank you so much. And thank you to my new Patreon subscribers, Dr. Josie A., Lorelai P., and Hannah L. Thank you, folks, so much. If you're listening and you want to become a Patreon subscriber and you want to help support this show, go to patreon.com forward slash spermcast. You can also support the show by going to Venmo and Venmoing money to Molly hyphen hockey. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. As for updates, well, you know, I'm still having a very hard time and that's okay. But I did realize this week that I would be 35 weeks pregnant right now. And that realization was pretty painful. I still have my linea nigra. I don't know if I've mentioned that to you guys, but you know, that little line that goes from your belly button down to your special lady place. (laughs) But I guess I still have that because I'm still pumping and I still have those hormones. And once I stop pumping, that will go away. And, um, you know, just so will the last remnants of my pregnancy. Mm, Shit, that makes me sad. (sighs) Much to deal with, much to deal with. I'm not okay. (laughs) But like, I am. It's fine. I'm fine. Now, pumping. So far, I've donated 48 pounds of milk. And I think I've got about 10 more pounds in the freezer. I think that altogether, that's almost a thousand ounces. And maybe that's when I start to let go of pumping. I don't know. We'll see. A little more time will tell. Speaking of time, so yeah, it's been about two and a half months since I got the devastating news that my baby had brain abnormalities, severe brain abnormalities. My baby who I have been sharing my body with for 24 weeks, who I'd been loving, who I'd been longing for for years, Ah, my whole life. I gotta stop crying now. Okay. Focus. Focus, girl. (laughs) Okay, where was I? And it's been, 
and it's been just over two months since I said goodbye to her, since I had to terminate my pregnancy so that she wouldn't suffer, so that I wouldn't suffer. And I've never experienced such pain. I've never felt grief like this. And I've been purposefully avoiding thinking about the future so that I could consciously grieve her and recover physically. I wanted to give her all of my love and all of my respect. And I also, I just couldn't think beyond tomorrow. But the thought of what's next was unavoidable. The obvious question, do I even want kids anymore? The obvious answer, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) The next question is more complex. How? How would I do it? Would I or should I attempt to make embryos with the eight frozen eggs I have left from when I was 37? Was there a genetic component to my baby's brain abnormalities or was it a fluke? Should I get a new sperm donor? If any embryos were made and any of them made it to day five, would any of them test genetically normal? If not, would I or should I do IVF again? Or should I do IVF right now because those frozen eggs might not work and then if they don't work, then I'll be three or four months older than I am now and my eggs will be even worse. Would the stress that I've been experiencing over the last two months have a negative effect on the quality of the eggs that are in my body right now? Would it just be another failed IVF cycle? And let's say I did end up with a viable embryo from my frozen eggs or from an IVF cycle. Do I have the courage and the strength to try to get pregnant again? Could I handle the waiting, the excitement, the disappointment? If I did get pregnant, would I be nervous the whole time? I mean, what do you think? What if I got the same tragic news at 24 weeks? Does that happen? And would I terminate again? And childbirth, could I survive it? Or would I hemorrhage again, but this time die? I'm not the same as I was before. I am afraid. I'm weak? Not a good word, but God, I mean, I'm not strong. I'm certainly not strong anymore. (laughs) I was strong before, or maybe I was naive, but I was never afraid, and I'm afraid now. So should I use a surrogate? Is having my own genetic material passed on that important? And again, that's if I have any viable embryos. If the answer to all of this is no, then why don't I, quote, just adopt? As many well-intentioned people have offhandedly asked me over the years. Well, these are some of the questions that, despite my best efforts at keeping them at bay, have been swimming around my head for two months. And these are some of the questions that we'll be focusing on in the next few episodes. Or more. I don't know. But today, we're going to start to tackle adoption. So, I hit up a friend of a friend, Katie Finn. So, hey, how are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. (laughs) I don't know much about you. I don't know much about you. It's perfect. I explained to Katie that I've always been interested in adoption, but that I've always had a very strong urge to experience pregnancy and childbirth and breastfeeding. I told her about my frozen eggs. I told her about the physical trauma that I had and my fear. And I told her it was time to do some research to figure out my options. Katie, who I'm now in love with and can't wait until she's my best friend and visits me on the farm, well, after adopting her two boys here in New York, she says her work and her world have kind of become consumed by adoption. I mean, I wrote a thesis about motherhood. I have worked with different organizations to create theater pieces, verbatim theater pieces. What does that mean, verbatim theater pieces? It means taking interviewing people and using exact text to create a piece of theater. 
Um, oh, cool. So, yeah. So we interviewed birth mothers, first mothers, biological wow. mothers, whatever word you want to use. And because that's sort of the voice of the triad, the adoption triad, meaning the ah. adoptee, the birth mother or birth family, and the um, adoptive family is kind of some adoption lingo in there. You know, and so often it is my story or the, the adoptive mother's story that's sort of heard and put on this pedestal and everything's so great and you have this heart and you adopt your babies and you're giving them a better life. Um, and so anyway, it was that birth mother voice that wasn't, is usually not portrayed honestly and openly and in a complex, truthful way. So yeah, we created a piece of theater that put a spotlight on that, those voices. That sounds great. Yeah. And then I just, I started writing about it, I think, as a way to process everything. The process, in many ways, the adoption process is very isolating. It's not normal. It's not the typical way a family is built. It's separating one family so that a different family can be. Um, And so writing became a way, I think, to process it and to answer all of the questions or statements or looks that I was getting that I couldn't kind of answer in real time. And that's kind of where I'm at. And then, you know, my older son is almost six. So I'm sort of six years into this. We have open adoptions with both of our boys, birth mothers. And so that's evolved tremendously. And that process and what that was or what I thought it was prior to adoption and where we are now is different. Yeah. And so, and I think there's a lot of education around that. And then we adopted transracially. So my boys are black, I'm white. And so that adds this whole other layer to adoption and to our family. Um, and dad, is dad white too? Dad is white. Yes. Yeah. Lily white. Lily, we are. <laughs> Why does they come? <laughs> Why does they come? Um, so yeah. And when I think about the adoption process and talking to you, it's so interesting because there's kind of the paperwork process, right? That's really intense. Yeah. And then there's the emotional process. Yeah. Where you're at, why you're pursuing adoption. Yeah. And then there's the process of, it doesn't stop, the adoption process. I think that's sort of what I've learned, you know. Oh, yeah, interesting. It's not like papers are signed, which I'm happy to talk about any, like, questions you have or, you know, first mother's relinquishment papers are signed um, and the process is done. There's my kids. like, And at each stage, it's different, right? Like the questions my boys have or school projects around culture and family tree and it just continues on and on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Take me back to the beginning. <laughs> when you and your husband decided to adopt, um, I think you mentioned something about... I did. My husband shooting blanks. <laughs> to put it is that azospermia or is azospermia when there's no sperm? So I think it's azo- azospermia, but there's... He had... He has azospermia. That's correct. Okay. So that means I think that the semen doesn't have sperm in it. Right. Okay. Right. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Awesome. Awesome. Like, azospermia. Who knew it was a thing? Um, We, like everybody else, you know, started, try to start a family the old-fashioned way. um, And we Mm -hmm. assumed that, no, I assumed we would have trouble getting pregnant because I have, like, crazy periods. (laughs) Let's just get down to it. 
<laughs> to make a long story short, we had no health insurance. We moved back to New York from LA. So we were not going to start to try to make babies until health insurance kicked in. So like the day gotcha. it kicked in, we started trying. And I want to say like, simultaneously, I went to the doctor to be like, is everything okay? I found a reproductive gynecologist. Everything looked great. Kept testing me. Nothing was coming up. We kept trying. They put like a, a fertility monitor. I was like a robot under my armpit that like read all my vital stats and then showed up on a computer. It was like this crazy the hell? thing. I know. And everything I had like, I had to put progesterone pills up my vagina. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. Easier than you would think. <laughs> Feels great. I thought. <laughs> um, so long story short, finally, they decided to test Ethan, my husband, which is so Why funny. Why did they take so long? Took so long. Yeah. When that's like the most, it's not a hard thing to do. <clears throat> so they tested him twice because the first time they were like, oh, no, this is very, it's rare to have none, no sperm. So we had to do it again. And then I, I got the results because it was through my doctor. Um, oh, my gosh. And I can't keep my mouth shut for shit. And so we were actually on, like, a, a tour of Murray's Cheese Cave uh, for his birthday. And, like, in that moment <laughs> is when I – I just pulled a muscle from my – ow, I hurt my neck just now. I just told him I couldn't, like, wait. It, we hadn't even started drinking yet. I just was like, you, sh- you, you have no sperm. Like, that's it. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, I'm sorry, but hold on. Where's Murray's Cheese Cave? Oh, it's um <laughs> in the West Village. I need to go there. It's amazing. They make you put this like suit on so you don't mess up the cheese. Oh my gosh! Or contaminate the cheese, I should say. <laughs> anyway, so all right. To be honest, like we too had always said, like well, we would adopt. I think a lot of people say that, right? Yeah. You have the heart for it and like, we'll do it. Um, but then if you get pregnant, guess what? It's a hell of a lot easier to, to do that if you, you yeah. know, if you can get pregnant, then go through the adoption process. Yeah. So anyway, but truly it was like the next day we both, we opened a bottle of champagne and we like toasted to adoption. Aww. And it was not a hard choice for us. And I will say like, I've nannied forever, like kids, babies, all that stuff. I never up until that point could picture myself pregnant mm. or thought about pregnancy. You know, it always felt very foreign to me. Yeah. Like nothing I wanted. So I don't know if that played into sort of the ease with which, because our doctor suggested a sperm donor or, you know, or like you might change your mind, freeze your eggs. And I was very like, no, it just never occurred to me that that was the way we would go. How did your husband feel about not having sperm? Was he okay? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty great. It's, yes, it is pretty great. Yeah. And he's always been like, yeah, tell whoever. That's part of our story. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's how it should be. I mean, no, it shouldn't. I don't mean that men should not, you know, mourn if they don't have sperm, but it should be open. People should talk about it. Right. Because it's pretty, like, the number, when you talk about infertility, it's like 50 50, I want to say. Absolutely. Men and women. That mm-hmm. it's not, you know, but of course you always hear that it's the woman's problem. Yeah. Or same reason why I was tested and all sorts of stuff was done to me, even though everything kept right. being like, no, you should be fine. Yeah. And did um, they did they offer to do like a exploratory stuff on his balls? <laughs> 
No, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the urologist that we were sent to was pretty much like, no, there's nothing. <laughs> there, that's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they would know that because they could, his, his vas deferens might be blocked there, or he might have, um, I think with a cystic fibrosis, the, the tube doesn't ever even develop for men if they are even a carrier of cystic fibrosis sometimes. I can't remember this. But anyway, there might be germ cells because I've done so many episodes about all this stuff, about everything having to do with fertility. Got it. Um, But but there might be like these germ cells in his – what is it called? Oh, now I really want to – oh, epididymis. No, that's skin. (laughs) No, I was right. I was right. It is the epididymis. The epididymis is a highly convoluted duct behind the testes along which sperm passes to the vas deferens. So that's interesting that the urologist didn't say anything else, but also I love that it was such an obvious choice for you guys. It was. I mean, I still think, you know, I see pregnant women or I wonder what it would be like to carry a child. It's And the curiosity has grown once I've had children because I think I see them and they're like, miraculous human beings. Like sometimes I say, I wish I could have carried them, which is like interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you would get to know them. You'd have nine extra months with them or however much time. Actually, I don't know what age you adopted them at. So skip that idea. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'll tell you that in a minute. Okay. Oh, and just that I think uh, seeing pregnant women when I was, when we were waiting was really difficult because I was so jealous that they had a timeline. Right. They knew when their baby was coming. And like on the subway, you know, I, like I I just was jealous that everybody knew that they were about to be a mom and yeah. nobody knew that I was going to be a mom. Like, I, I don't know. So it was a... No, I, I hear you. I hear you. Hard in a funny way. Yeah, I get it. So I don't know, like the mental... Pro- you know, I have friends and now that we sort of connected with other adoptive families, you know, other moms who suffered many miscarriages who, I hate to say that adoption was the second choice, right? Because your kids hear, may hear that or whatever. It's, yeah. you know, it can be a loaded statement. Yeah. But women who have come to adoption after a lot of loss. And I don't, I don't, I can't really speak to that, to be perfectly sure. honest. I will say there's, you know, they like the first thing... I feel like a good adoption agency tells you is that adoption is, is about grief and loss, right? Mm. If we're going to really, in my opinion, speak about adoption, you have to speak about a birth mother's choice, hopefully Mm. choice to place her child, not give up her child. There's some adoption language for you. Oh, Um, I love it. Yeah. To place her child. And that's about her making an informed decision. Mm. Yes, she is giving something up, but she is making the choice to place her child with another family. And in our case, the way we chose an adoption agency was finding an adoption agency that sort of aligned with us ethically. So that became an agency that uh, had a whole birth family department that really was, look, they're an adoption agency. So like, they want to place babies with adoptive families. However, uh, they provide counseling for their birth mothers forever and ever and ever if our son's Ooh. birth mothers choose to receive that counseling. Um, <clears throat> they have no age limit. Uh, single people can adopt. LBGTQ people can adopt. They were, they are, continue to be really open and affirming and like 
if you have a happy home, great. So that's sort of how we found an agency for us. Can you tell me what agency that is? is Yeah, it's like such a silly name. (laughs) We went with Adoption Star. Star. Okay. And STAR stands for Support, Training, Advocacy, and Resources. Lovely, 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 lovely. Everybody in New York seems to go with Spence Chapin, which is like the big New York agency. I've heard of them. Yeah. When we started the process, their infant domestic adoption program was closed. They had too many waiting families, so it wasn't an option for us. They had too many adoptive families or perspective uh, families okay yeah who were waiting so their infant domestic infant program was closed and we knew we wanted to do domestic because we wanted to adopt a newborn Mm -hmm. and internationally that's not really a possibility Uh that's why we went with star and at that same time when we were talking to other agencies it became evident that most adoptions now are open are open adoptions. Okay. Assuming that that's what the birth mother wants. The levels mm-hmm. of openness vary tremendously. Openness can be sending pictures and letters once mm-hmm. a year. Mm-hmm. Nothing is legally binding, which is actually kind of sad for the first for the birth mother. Um, right. You sign a post adoption contract agreement, a PACA, that uh, <laughs> says what your intent is. Uh huh. And in some ways it makes sense, right? Like if my son's birth mothers were unsafe for us to be around, or if they get to the age where they kicking and screaming, don't want to see them, which I think would mm-hmm. be rare, we're not, we would never force that on our kids, right? Or if they weren't safe, like we are, we're our kids' parents, we, the decision lays with us, lies with us. But you do make this agreement that you all sign yeah. um, for what the contact is going to look like once the adoption is finalized. Gotcha. Do you think I should interview multiple agencies? And if that's the case, is that what people do or yeah, or do I just ask other people? Okay. you uh, It's up to you. So we found like, I think three or four that we liked. Okay. Um, and most of them have like orientations. So you go uh-huh. to like some weird boardroom where they like- Or Zoom room with, these days. Oh, right. Zoom room where you're, there's like a ton of people looking like terrified because- <laughs> You find yourself starting the adoption process, like, what the, what is this? This is daunting. Do you feel insecure, like, uh, seeing other people and comparing yourself to them? And are they going to get chosen? It's like going to an audition. Totally. In the beginning, totally. Like, or like, in my brain, I realized that like, oh, I thought like only wonderful people will adopt children, cool people like me. And then sometimes you're sitting with other families and you're like, whoa, they're weird. Or like (laughs) they go to Ren Fairs. They're going to take their kid to Ren Fairs. Like Ren Fairs are fun. We have been to Ren Fairs with our children. I haven't. He has. So don't listen to me. But I just mean like, I don't know. I I, just like there's like crazy people who have kids, right? No matter how that family's formed. Yeah. If you want to have a family, your child is going to find their way to you. I mean, I think to me, that's the most surprising thing is that like my two boys are so different. They are not biological brothers. Mm -hmm. They are so different. And yet it is, it takes my breath away and I will not, I might cry at some point how, (sighs) how they're just my kids. Oh, (laughs) now I'm going to cry. Don't cry. (laughs) I know. 
So it is like an audition until then you kind of start to get like adoption savvy, right? And you're like, oh, this is about being matched with a birth mother. It's about her connection to you. And in that way, you're like, "Mm, we will connect in some, in some universal, the universe is working spiritual way. And then all of a sudden everybody around you becomes less threatening because you kind of realize it's going to work out for everybody. Good. Yeah. So I should reach out to multiple agencies, check out their orientations. Yeah, I would do that. Talk to someone. So anyway, okay. So you find an agency. Yep. Then what happens? Oof. Or you, in your situation. You get sent a lot of paperwork. Okay. And the registration fee and the money. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about money for a second. Yeah, let's do it. I think I read something about maybe thirty to $50,000. If that's what you read, that's probably a private adoption agency, which is okay. what we used. They take care of helping you put together your profile book, which is essentially what birth mother or expectant mothers will be looking at to get to know you and sort of like, this is my life. It's like a glorified scrapbook. Uh-huh. Um, they help with that. They will, they have their own birth family department, right? So of finding um, expectant mothers. Whereas if you're not using an agency, there's all different ways. You know, people advertise on Facebook looking for a woman Shut who up. wants to make, oh yes, make an adoption plan. People put the word out. I've seen signs like on telephone poles, like, of, oh my God, of, it's insane. It's hard because there's, there's also like, you could just reach out to an adoption lawyer who also mm-hmm. has their own ways of finding, does their own advertising for lack of a better word for expectant mothers. Um, an agency typically does, if it's an ethical agency, have like a birth family department. So in adoption stars case, they have relationships with hospitals. They have relationships mm-hmm. with clinics, all different places where women in crisis might be looking to hear their options. Mm -hmm. I will say a lot of agencies are anti-abortion, that they feel like adoption is the better choice. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't believe that. Right. At all. Are they upfront about that kind of vibe? Um, Or like how would one siphon out those... You'll know. They're usually very Christian. Because technically I just had an abortion. Yes, correct. Um, oh, but I hate saying that. I hate saying that. Oh. Yeah. You, I think I'm so pro-choice, but I'm like, well, I don't think you had one. It's different. <laughs> what makes it different? And why does it matter? But I would hate to be in a category, at, like if I found an agency and – and then they find out that I terminated a pregnancy. Would they not uh, represent me or advertise me to their birth mothers? You know what I mean? I do. And I think you'll, you'll know. Agencies are pretty upfront about their religious affiliation, which is a huge one. Typically, mm-hmm. many agencies are exceptionally Christian. Mm-hmm. I don't view it that way at all. I don't believe I'm saving a child. I think that's real fucked up. Wait, wait. Why is that fucked up? Aren't you saving them? I don't view it. I mean, they need a a family. They need a family. They Um, need to be taken care of. 
They do, but I think it puts some value on like who's to say their life with me and Ethan is would be better than if their first mother was in a position to parent. For sure. For sure. But since she's not, you kind of are rescuing. But that sounds – I mean, I, I can feel why that feels fucked up. It feels, yes. And I think it becomes It's more, like a savior, savior complex kind of a thing. But, well, mm-hmm. another layer is transracial adoption, the fact that our boys right. are black. Then this white saviorism right. is a whole nother – yeah, we have to get to that too. We have a lot to ooh, talk about. Ooh, okay, it's crazy. Okay, um, so, okay. We're yeah. talking about a lot of money. We're talking about the money, 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 money. So it's a lot of money, money. to go a private agency. I will say this: there are grants. I actually am friends with an adopted mom who has a whole organization that gives grants to prospective families. I will say, like, our agency is not a non for profit, so our fees are going to support that the birth mother, birth family, like uh, section of the agency, right? Like paying mm-hmm. the social workers. Um, like this is a legal proceeding, right? There's lawyers involved to finalize mm-hmm. the adoption. So anything legal it has like crazy fees when there's a lawyer involved. Why the fees? And you need a lawyer regardless. You're going to be paying some lawyer fees to finalize the adoption. It's a, it's a lot of money. Most of it comes at placement. So you get the phone call that you've been chosen by a birth mother. Typically, you know if a birth mother is considering you. In my first son's Mm -hmm. case, we didn't even know that she was considering us. Um, We just got the call that there was a woman making an adoption plan. You hear everything about her that they know. And you're kind of like, you know, if it sounds good and promising, you can't believe what might be happening. And then your social worker is like, and post-placement fees are $27,000 due at... (laughs) It's oh my just God. that transactional part of it is it's a it's a it's so so expensive, and then there is like some ickiness. Think the transaction of it all. You know, you're not buying a baby. My God, they yeah. they break down the fees for you, right? But it's money, a lot of money. Yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. We, um... My father, my biological father, passed away right when we knew we were going to start the adoption process. And he was not in my life much at all. But he happened to have this life insurance policy. Oh, my goodness. For $100,000. And my brother got fifty grand, and we got fifty grand. Oh, my and goodness. And so we had this gift of like just being like, There's, there it is. We don't have to think about it, stress about it. Wow. That's amazing. And it, that's amazing. I hate the money, but money's part of it. Part of that money was also then saved for our second child's adoption yeah. as well. Okay. So there you are. You're feeling, okay. You have to get home certified or whatever. Home study. Your home study. Home yeah. study. Uh-huh. Quickly tell me what, what's involved with that. And then I also want to know about this profile that you have to make. And I also want to know about the feeling of having to wait and wait and wait and not know. So, okay, go. (laughs) Go. Okay. 
One, home study. The home study actually includes everything, like all the paperwork you write. You have to write a biography of yourself, all the financial paperwork, physicals. You know, we had to, this is interesting for you because we hadn't been back in New York five years when we started the process. We needed like all our medical records from California. We had to do a lot of things double. We had to do California paperwork and New York paperwork. Wow. Everything from, will you like the Adam Walsh, you know, there's like children's trafficking stuff you're filling out to make sure you're not a trafficker. Uh. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the home study. And then there's like the home study where the social worker comes to your house, Mm -hmm. which in our experience is like the most chill thing ever. She sits at the table and talks to you. We had, we lived in 800 square feet when we were in the process the first time. I think we had like 15 smoke detectors put in. Like, she's going to look up. We need to show her that we care. Like, just like lined down the hallway. Like, so. So did you have to have a room, a baby room ready to Mm go? No. Okay. No, we had to have, um, this is new. This was actually for our second. We had the same social worker, which was so nice. But Mm -hmm. we had to have something that the baby would sleep in. So like she had to look at our pack and play shoved in the closet that like, mm-hmm. that's what the baby could sleep in. But no, you, the baby does not need their own room. Okay. And in our second adoption, we didn't have a second room. So the baby, our firstborn was, his room was like a closet. And then <laughs> Desi, our little one was in our room until we moved. Okay. And that doesn't matter. Great. Great. Yeah. And they don't care if you're renting or if you own, they don't care. Do they care if you live with your parents? <laughs> Great question. No, I don't know. They don't. My very loving parents. No, that to me is like a bonus. <laughs> I mean, this is new because I moved here because of my pregnancy. So I don't know how long I'll live here or with the parents or any of that. But I do know that if I start the adoption process, I have to make a decision and decide to be in one state, not a back and forth with California. Right. I don't think they care, no. Yeah. So that's the home study. It's not... It's lovely. And they come in New York. There was two visits with her. And then post-placement, once your baby is with you, um, she comes back for three post-placement visits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just so you know, depending on what state. So our firstborn was born in Florida. Oh, okay. So his birth mother signed her papers 48 hours after giving birth. That's mm-hmm. the Florida law. And it became irrevocable at that time. So okay. she signed and that was it. Okay. Desi was born in New York, in Buffalo. And in New York, she signs, I want to say, 72 hours after birth. And then there is 30 days where she can Ooh. change her mind. Okay. The thing about those 30 days is if she were to change her mind, I do believe there's like an actual court process. Okay. One of the things about, and this is our experience, about going with our agency too, is that they are counseling a birth mother, an expectant mother, the entire, once she contacts the agency, she starts receiving counseling. Mm -hmm. And so they're also very upfront about like, this feels risky, or Mm -hmm. I went to visit and her house is full of baby furniture. Mm -hmm. Do you want to continue? They kind of are with her or there, it's a different social worker. Mm-hmm. you know, so that there's no like weird conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a social worker and we have a social worker and with our agency, and I'm sure many agencies that provide support to birth families, 
I think in all their years, it's like a less than 1% that's happened less than 1% of a birth mother changing her mind. Okay. And I believe part of that is because they're very, they're helping that woman make an informed decision. So hopefully she will have made that decision if she decides she wants to parent prior to giving birth. Right. Or during those long 48 or 72 hours. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It did happen to my friends that the mom, um, they saw pictures of her on Facebook with her baby and she hadn't told anyone and she changed her mind. Oh. <sighs> yeah. It was my biggest fear with, with Rory, my oldest, because um, his birth mother, she was late. She was due March 9th. Uh-huh. She thought she was in labor March 4th. So we flew to Florida oh. <laughs> and waited and saw her. And that was a whole thing. And I was, I had convinced myself at some point that she had given birth and that she was parenting and oh. that nobody was telling us. Yeah. 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 They ended up getting, their son ended up getting placed with them <laughs> about, um, I, he was just, what's it called when they're just born? Newborn? <laughs> Baby. When? when. <laughs> Baby, <laughs> no. When they um, when you're not set up with the person, but they just they got a phone call that was like, "We've got a baby in the valley. Can you pick him up today?" Whoa, <laughs> what's that called? That doesn't have a name. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, they were matched with her, or they were? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Two weeks. Two weeks later, their their son arrived. After the failed match, or yes, after it, they matched him them with uh, another baby. Wow! Our second Desi, his birth mom was in labor when she was really making her adoption plan. So okay. we, it was like uh, super fast. Can you be? She wants to talk to you tomorrow. She spoke with us on the phone. Wow! I think she spoke with I don't know another family, and then when we. By the time we got off the subway, we had done the call at, in my office at work. Um, oh we got the God. call from our social worker that she had chosen us and could we drive to Buffalo the next morning, oh which is God. crazy and harder when you have a, at that time, almost yes. four-year-old that you're like, and what do we do with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How long does it take from, how long did it take for you once you did your orientation, let's say, until uh, getting placed? It took about seven months for all our paperwork, everything to be done. Oh, my goodness. People say three to six months. I was also in grad school. And Uh because we were collecting stuff from California, it took a little longer. Yeah. Once we were officially waiting to be matched with a birth mother, with Rory, we waited nine months to be matched. And with Desi, we waited almost a year to be matched. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. And within that time, with both of them, we would get calls like, we have an expectant mother. So you fill out something. You fill out everything you're comfortable with, right, about a birth mother mm-hmm. or expectant mm-hmm. mother at that point, like exposures, health history, your grid. It's very – another crazy moment of like, would you – this child like has a vision loss to mm-hmm. like born with a severe disability, you know. Is there mm-hmm. a history of sickle cell? Like it's nuts what you fill out. So if yeah. there is a – expectant mother who matches your grid, you'll get a phone call that says, we have this woman, here's everything we know about her. Do you want her to see your profile? 
And you could say no for some reason. If you, for whatever reason, you don't like something you've heard. So let's say you say yes, then you're waiting to hear if she's chosen Interested. you. Okay. Before you're even, <laughs> right. you know. So that happened to us a number of times. And I found it brutal, 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 oh. brutal. And then one time we were matched. We had a failed match. So she chose us. I quit my job. I literally was like, I'm out. And before I left work that day, I got a call that said, there's something, she wasn't honest. We got some scans back. There's something severely wrong with the fetus. The baby will probably never walk. And so we actually were the ones who said we can't move forward. So that same day, I literally had to be like, just kidding, work. I'm not leaving. Oh, my God. (laughs) I didn't quit. Oh, my gosh. And so eventually we were matched with Rory's birth mom and we were matched with her for three months. So we got to know her for three months before she gave birth. And then with Desi, it was 48 hours. Right, right. And then there's the profile book that you get to make all about your life. Is it a book or is it online? So I think it varies by agency or whatever. Uh Ours are actual books that then would be sent to expectant mothers to look at. Okay. There's like whole consultant firms that make these beautiful books with like professional photography. We did none of that. We did it ourselves. Like a glorified shutterfly book is what we did. This is where we live. It started with a a letter, dear. Like if you're reading this letter, sort of a note to her. Um, What we like to do for fun, a little bit about our family. That's kind of the book. And you kind of have to, I mean, I just personally was like, I just have to trust that like, this is me, take it or leave it. Right. Like I can't pretend to be something else or like, I live in a city. If you're, if you are going to want to place your family as a kid who lives in the country, it's not going to be me. I can't (laughs) pretend those things. (laughs) Yeah. And Desi's birth mom said, I chose you because in your book, I love how you loved Rory, like our older son. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, meant a lot to hear from her on the phone. Yeah. So that's like a dating profile. Yep. <laughs> that sucks. I hate it. I'm terrible at online it. dating. It's never worked for me. Been trying forever. You said it way more succinctly than me. <laughs> yes, it's a dating profile. Next question. You're dating a mom. You are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I got to figure that out. Okay. Okay, okay. We have to talk about race. Transracial adoption. Tell me. (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) So when we started the process, we said we were open to any race. With our agency, you have to take education like credits and classes. And so there was like a few extra classes Mm. around race. I'm shaking my head because they're not sufficient Mm. in the slightest Mm. in the slightest for what it means, what I'm learning and what I knew on some level to adopt transracially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we said we were open to any race. Mm -hmm. That's not true for our firstborn. We said that. And then once when we adopted the second time, we did specify because we wanted Rory to have a family member that looked like him to have a sibling that looked like him. It's really, it impacts every decision we make in our life. Okay. Where we live, where our boys go to school, where where we would move and not move. And this is not everybody, right? There's plenty of families that adopt transracially and continue to live in a predominantly white community. 
and send their child to a predominantly white school. I started to just listen once we had already adopted, listen and learn from a, a lot of adult transracial adoptees. And you can't kind of unhear what you hear. Yeah. So it just, it just, it guides everything we do. You know, we're in the city in a pandemic. So many people are getting out or leaving. We're like, where would we go that would have, we're in a predominantly black neighborhood now too. We live in Flatbush. Uh-huh. Where would we go that would reflect our boys? They both go to schools with predominantly black students and black teachers. Um, and it's really hard to find other places. It's not impossible, right? But that we feel would provide those racial mirrors and opportunities to provide our boys with things that we simply can't, we can't do. And we see our boys, they look, well, Rory, Desi's still young. You see how Rory looks at other black people. You see Mm. his interactions with them. And there's just, there's like a, um, a recognition of you're like me. I don't know. Um, And I don't believe I'm reading into that. So it's just, so important. And we talk about it constantly, you know, and we know jack shit. So we're Black History Month. We're learning with the boys, you know, right. like it, we read these children's books and I'm like embarrassed about how little I know. I'm, you know, leading anti-racist conversations with white moms <laughs> of white kids. That's what I do now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's a big thing. If I'm adopting, I would also want to uh, adopt any race. But I, if I'm here on the farm, I live on a farm right now with my parents. <laughs> um, and it's an ideal place to grow up. Yeah. And I grew up here. I love it so much. But there's no, it's, there's no neighborhood. There, but there's nobody around. And I don't have any friends in New York, really. I do have, you know, my, fr- my high school friends. But they're, you know, they're all Me. half an hour away. I have you. Yeah, and your kids could come over. But I'm just wondering, like, how do I – would it be a disservice to my little ones if they were one, if they grew up on a farm with just white people and nobody around? But I if, think – well, do you mean but, if you specifically adopted a child of a different race? Right, 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 right. Yes. Obviously, I would do everything in my power to to give them culture, whatever culture they're from – but just the I, just the fact that I live on a f- kind of a secluded farm, I w- it wouldn't be Flatbush, you know what I mean? The, but the town, the right. public it's school a- is is multiracial. I mean, there's there's I don't when I was a kid, it was I don't know what it is these days, but I think it's just such a deeply like personal question you have to ask yourself. Like, wh- I don't know, is it enough? Is it not enough? I mean, I also we walk outside right now with the pandemic and not a lot of trash pickup. And my kids sometimes have to walk through garbage, right? So like, that's a shitty feeling. You know, we were in Maine all summer. Yeah. Not a diverse place. No. Um, no. I love Maine though. Oh, it was idyllic. The kids, we were on the ocean. They were hiking and climbing every day. Like what else could we get? What's a better summer than that, right? Yeah. And so you think about what you are giving your kids, I think, and then how and what you would supplement doesn't mean... I don't know. I mean, it's not it's not so easy as far as like, well, we'll go to Chicago every Thanksgiving and like, <laughs> Well, I mean, I just wonder is that an is that a no-go? Like I I was wondering if you were going to say, "Oh no, Molly, don't do it." I feel like I'm the wrong person to answer that. I feel like when I read so most of the transracial adoptees who like have blogs and have Instagram accounts, they typically have something to say about this issue and it's mm. typically that they weren't raised with enough racial mirrors. Right. 
but there's, I'm sure there's plenty of black adoptees who also value whatever, if they were raised on a farm with no black people around, I think it's, you just would have to figure out, I wouldn't say no, I wouldn't tell you no, not to do it. Mm -hmm. I wonder what, like a wide range of adult transracial adoptees would tell you. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, well, maybe I'll have to ask them. <laughs> there's some really, I'll email you some, there's a, some really, there's one woman who has like, she does incredible work and she was raised in, I think, Westerly, Rhode Island. I think I might follow this girl on Instagram. April and June, June and April, something like that. April is her name. <laughs> Wait, I'm just going to look. Angie Adoptee. Oh, she's great. I saw her on uh, Red Table Talk with, um, you know, Jada Pinkett and the and yep. Willow Smith and the mama. Um, yep. I saw her a while back. Um, yeah, but she was raised with, with a white family and a white neighborhood and white friends, and she had a lot to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot to say about it. I mean, I know there's a lot to say yeah. about it, but like I said, yeah. I wouldn't. I mean, my – if I – if Rory – in particular, could be raised on a farm. He would be, he would be no pun intended, happy as a pig in shit. Like he would, he would love it. Um, it's like all things in parenting. I think you're going to constantly yeah. question. I mean, yeah, I would just say it's something to to seriously think about. Then how yeah. would you sort of, I don't know, supplement isn't the right word. Give your kids what they need, which yes, everybody's going to do that. Okay, yeah. Hopefully, okay. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but we haven't really talked about your relationship with the birth mothers. Well, this is a longie. I'll keep it brief. Um, <laughs> it's – I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's the most surprising, beautiful relationships Aww. other than my kids, I guess, and my husband. All right. It's down there. <laughs> um, it's, my, it's, it's this new member of our family. Yeah. We don't, you know, there's open adoptions where like birth mothers go on vacation with the family and has a bedroom and babysits. Like that's not where we're at. I'm to be totally honest, that doesn't feel comfortable to me. I still as beautiful and as open as it is and as much as I see how incredibly valuable it is for my boys to know where they came from. Um it's a daily process for me, mm -hmm. navigating the fact that there is and was a mother before me. And visits are incredible and they're getting easier. I mean, we've only had one. We do one a year. Um, this year we haven't, obviously, which they mm -hmm. know why. But it's it's incredibly nerve-wracking before the visits. I I just, it's, it's hard. It's hard and beautiful. And we see their, um, they both have biological siblings who we call their sibbies. Uh -huh. So we see their sibbies and at its best, it's the most, it's beautiful and delightful and everybody's laughing and hugging, but it's also really hard. And I usually have to call my own mom after. Yeah. Yeah. There's another mom, even though that's like so weird because at the same time I'm their mother, there's like not even a shred of doubt or like weirdness around that in my brain but it's it's really complicated and beautiful and different for every it's different with Desi's birth mom and Rory's birth mom they're different women they come at this the, the adoptions with different needs and wants mm -hmm. 
But this is the decision that you and your husband made. You wanted it to be this way. It's not like you're being forced to. Correct. There is nothing You think it's good for your children and- and good for us. And good for you. Okay. Really good for us. Okay. Even though um, it makes it makes it scares you. Yeah. Okay. It gets less scary and it'll probably get scary for different reasons as the boys get older and better for different reasons. Mm-hmm. With Rory's birth mom, we um she didn't have my phone number. We had like a burner phone that we communicated with. Wow. Not uncommon, I guess, when you're learning to like trust this woman. I, sure, I, sure. And she knew the phone was going to go off once she had signed relinquishment papers. And um, we were going to communicate via pictures and letters, as was our agreement. And a few months in, I don't know when, I was like, said to my husband, like, I want to put my phone number in a letter. Like, I want her to have my number. And so he, <laughs> Magic Ethan, was like, all right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I did. And she texted at some point, And now... We, you know, we text, we have each other's number. Mm-hmm. And then with Desi's birth mom, it happened much faster that we had each other's contact info. I think I just wasn't as nervous or sure it wasn't as new. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've got, you've given me a lot of, um, a lot to think about. Yeah. And I'm sure I have more questions. I was going to say that if you have more questions, ask me. I will. Ask for anybody. Sure. Because I think there's so many questions. Yeah. And hard questions and weird questions. It's that paperwork and that time beforehand. It just seems very daunting. Even the money, I don't have that money, but I don't care about that because uh, money just doesn't mean much to me because that's probably why I don't have any. Uh, me too. <laughs> but the waiting is terrifying. It's terrifying. Mean, I've been waiting really- for three years now. You know what I mean? I was really bad at the waiting. Some people are good at the waiting. They're like, I just go on with my life. And if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I was really bad at it. Yeah, I just feel sick to my stomach just thinking about it. I was really bad at it. Yeah. And the stories I would tell myself and would the phone ring today and how would I do this? And then then to get um, a, a potential match and to find out that you can't take care of that child for some reason, like you're not capable of it, and to to feel like you're rejecting a mother and her child, that's that was really the, hard. The most grief I've ever had. Oh, I I bonded with that baby somehow. I think about that baby, not daily, but a oh. lot. And I wonder if that that I mean they say too, like if you if you can't do this, this baby, we will find a home for this baby. This mm-hmm. baby our agency is amazing. Mm-hmm. But that was a real a real grief period for us. And it made us announce our adoptions or when we were matched with both, well, Desi was so short, but with Rory's birth mother, very different how we approached telling people that we were matched. Right. And we shouted it from the rooftops with the first time the baby boy that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it was a lot more timid. How long had you been matched with the, oh, it was just the day, right? It was more than, I want to say it was like, I want to say about a week. Oh, Yeah. A week of I bought like you know I stopped and bought a swaddle to surprise. It's like having a miscarriage. It's a loss. So that's I've never had a miscarriage, so I won't wouldn't say that. But don't you dare fucking say that. I won't say that. I fucking don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It's not my word. But I just can Uh, feel that I can. I'm preparing myself. the The idea that that could happen. It's a a little. It's a gut punch. It's 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 hard. 
not to totally freak you out, but the gut punch too of after they give birth, there is that depending on the state, 48, 72, whatever the hours are where they can absolutely, and it's well within their right to change their mind. Yep. And think about all the hormones that happen after Mm -hmm. you give birth and what's going on. Yeah. Rory's birth mom was incredible. We were in the hospital room with her. She had a C-section, so she was in the hospital for Mm. longer Mm. than she would have been. And there was one night, I'll tell you this real quick. We were sitting in her hospital room and I, I was feeding Rory and she was on the phone with a friend and we could tell the friend was trying to talk her out. Oh my goodness. Of placing. Oh my goodness. The baby with us. So I'm feeding and I can't lie to you. I mean, I had bonded with this baby. I knew she could change her mind, but I, you know, so I'm feeding Rory listening Mm. to this conversation. Like, you know, terrifying, terrifying. And then she signed and we, you know, she texted me and said, it's done. And then you cried. And then I cried and went into the, <laughs> her room first. The ba- Rory was in the nursery. We couldn't, I couldn't be with him in case she didn't sign. I just couldn't. Oh yeah. So he was in the, in the nursery with, you know, the nurses doing, just laying there like babies do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So she signed and we went in and saw her and then Ethan and I went in and had a party <laughs> with Rory. Oh my God. Well, thank goodness. Thank goodness. It seems like a long, difficult road. It does. And it you does, know what? You know I, what? yes, worth it. I know you're going to say that for sure. Not worth it. <laughs> Exhausting. <laughs> They're still here. They're like, they need things. Then <laughs> there's a pandemic. No, yes, uh, absolutely. Worth it is an understatement. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's yeah. just not, it's not easy. And I do, like, one of the things that a lot of people that are trying to get pregnant hear often and hate most is when people say, why don't you just adopt? And <sighs> it is not easy. No, and because what I said, I will just reiterate, it doesn't just adopt. The process is ongoing right now, right? <laughs> right. Like. Yes. There's open adoption. There's questions. There's so – it's not like paperwork signed. Let's just go be a family. Yeah. You can do that, but you're going to really fuck up your kid. Yeah. Yes, lots to think about. And I'm excited to hang out with you one day. Oh, tell us all where your blog is. What's it called? Oh, Our Family Triad. Mm-hmm. The Adoption Triad. Get it? I get it. Tree. <laughs> <laughs> I really sell it. And then, uh, yeah, I post a lot on Instagram, but I, my Instagram posts were getting like very long. I was like, nobody wants to read. I, I do. What's your Instagram? Comments. <laughs> it's Katie Finn 33. Okay. K-A-T-Y-F-I-N-N 33. Yeah. I was born on March That's, 3rd. That's um, my basketball jersey number. Really? So you there still you play? Go. Time, to, time to hang up. <laughs> Basketball. I'm really eh? good at ending podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, thank you so much for talking to me and talking me through all of that stuff and answering all my questions. I'm sure I'm going to ask you more down the road. You are more than welcome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have a wonderful day with your children and happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs>
All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'll see you at some point. I'll see you soon. Well, I don't need to repeat it, but man, it is not easy to just adopt, but a little bit easier when you've got someone like Katie giving you all kinds of information. Katie, thank you again so much. Again, her blog can be found at OurFamilyTriad.com. And her Instagram is katiefin 33 I'm over an hour already, so I gotta go. I love you so much. Oh, okay, other things. Sorry about earlier in the intro when I cried. You know, it all comes down to whatever mood I'm in when I'm starting to record. So, <laughs> I recorded that one earlier this morning and I was uh, feeling I was having a moment. That's it. Now I'm feeling great. Now I'm going to record an audition and my mom's going to be my reader and that's going to be really interesting. Okay. Love you, everybody. If you want to reach me, email me at spermcast at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at spermcast. Leave me a voicemail or text me at 323-741-1818. Join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash spermcast. Send money to the podcast on Venmo. Just send the money to molly-hockey. And you know what? You know how I do like, you know, that fertility consultations? I am still doing those. I know, I know. It seems crazy. But it helps me to help other people. So if you're looking for fertility consultations and you just want to talk, I'm still available to do that. And you can email me at spermcast at gmail.com. We can talk about what that all involves and stuff. Okay, now I'm out of here. Love you so much. See you next week. He could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall. Funny, smart, love basketball. Gay, straight, black, white. Tiny ass with an underbite. I just need sperm. Sperm cast. An Erios production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 